Now, I'd like to invite you to read the um, scripture with me. We're going to read Mark 12, 28 to 34. One of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he had answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the, the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you're a right teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other beside him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared ask him any more questions. Thank you, Elise. Uh, well, good morning. And to my mom, who may be watching, happy Mother's Day. Um, my name is James Walden. I'm one of the elders here at Riverside Community Church, and it's my uh, privilege to open Scripture with you this morning. I don't know if you know this, but it's been nine weeks since we've been doing this. You know, they say it takes nine weeks to form a new habit. I'm afraid of that. <laughs> um, but nine weeks, we've had our lives seriously interrupted by this pandemic. And uh, as if life isn't already full enough, we have all these sort of rules that we are to be following, and understandably so. So how to do life in a pandemic. It's very complex. There's a lot of expectations and precautions we're to take. I mean, all of you know that you should be washing your hands anyway. But washing our hands constantly for 20 seconds. My hands have never looked older. And then for 20 seconds, you have to sing the birthday song. That's what I'm told like a lunatic while you're washing your hands with soap and water. And then, of course, there's not just the constant hand washing, there's the cleansing of surfaces over and over again. How many times have you cleaned your keyboard? How many times have you wiped down your phone? I hope more than once. I mean, if you're following the rules. Um, and then, of course, social distancing, which my neighbors don't seem to understand in the cul-de-sac. And, and then I feel rude if I back up, they get closer, you know. So I don't know, what, what are, am I being, am I taking the rules too seriously? Am I, I don't know. It's confusing. And then sneezing. We, again, like washing hands, you should always use your elbow. But if you sneeze in Target, it's like Moses in the Red Sea. <laughs> You might as well just leave. It's the walk of shame back to your car. Come back an hour later when no one was there. There's no point, right? And then, if, and then what about face masks? Should you wear a face mask? Yes, we're told, but others say maybe it's not that helpful. I, it fogs up my glasses. I can't see, but I've gone into Publix without a face mask, and the faces I've gotten in response sent me back to my car for my mask. So there's a lot of rules here, and I don't know them all, but it's, it's, it's a lot and then on top of that, you have homeschooling now. For many of us who were not homeschooling before, 
And I only have three boys, but it's overwhelming. I mean, I go to bed every night going, I don't think we did half the things we were supposed to do. Like I, if, if I were graded as a parent for homeschooling by the teachers, I'd get a solid D, maybe a D plus. And then just in terms of overall work productivity, I just, I can't do it. Like I'm three Zoom calls, I need a solid nap after that. And so my productivity has been cut in half. And every, every day I'm like, I only got half the things on my list finished. It's just overwhelming. And so it's with sympathy that I read the scribe's question to Jesus. The scribe was the only scribe positively described by Mark uh, as, as one who seemed genuinely interested in Jesus. He was impressed with his answer to the Sadducee. And so he comes to him with a hard question. He says, look, we got a lot of commands. According to the traditional Jewish reckoning, there are 613 commandments to keep every day. That is your to-do list. And so the, the scribe understandably asks, asking a question that a lot of rabbis asked. What's the integrating principle here? How can we sort of simplify this? How can we manage this? What's the priority here? I can, in my exhaustion, fully sympathize with this question. Okay, yeah, there's a lot we should do, but what's the most important? And Jesus' answer is very simple. Love. Love is the greatest task laid upon us. It's interesting when the rabbi says of all the commandments that we understand that he doesn't just mean the commandments that were peculiar to Israel as the people of God. There were some commandments that only applied to Israel, but there were commandments in the Bible that applied also to everyone, to all Gentiles. So when he asks this question, he's asking, what is the greatest task not just laid on Israel, but laid on us as humans. What is it? What's the most important thing for us to be about, whether we're Jew or Christian or Muslim or Hindu or Buddhist or Wiccan or atheist? What is the greatest duty that's laid upon us simply because we're human? And Jesus says, love. This is what I should be concerned about during this pandemic is love, loving God, loving my neighbor. But I love how the tables are turned here. This is the third and final test by the leadership of the Sanhedrin of Jesus. This guy seems a little bit more friendly and more sincere in his question, but he's still testing Jesus' wisdom. And it begins with an observation by the scribe when he saw that Jesus answered well, the Sadducee. He tested him. But did you notice by the end, the tables have turned? And it's Jesus observing that the scribe answered wisely. And then Jesus issues a verdict. <laughs> so Jesus, who was in the dock, is now the one evaluating and says, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And that's what always happens when we interrogate scripture, rightly so, as we press into it and poke it and evaluate it. Is this trustworthy? What does it have for me? What, is it, what, what have you done for me lately? As we push into it, it pushes back and it evaluates us. And so as we weigh and we, we wrestle with Scripture, we find ourselves uh, weighed and evaluated and pushed. And so I want to pray for our time that as we dig into this word of Jesus, Jesus himself would weigh us and we'd find ourselves not only evaluated, but in his presence we'd find ourselves loved. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray now as we dig into it together that your spirit, wherever we're seated, wherever we're, we're located this morning, your spirit would be, at, 
would be at work through this word, Lord, to speak to us, to weigh us, to expose us in your safe presence and draw us in that we might be healed, that we might be turned, transformed, changed in your love. Lord Jesus, would you love us well this morning through your word we pray. Amen. So there's really, I love the simplicity of Jesus' answer. Of all the commandments, what's priority? What's the, what's the organizing principle of all the law? Love. Turns out the Beatles were right. Jesus' answer is in full accord with the, the, the Jewish scriptures, the Old Testament. In fact, the scribe immediately approves of Jesus' answer. Did you notice that? Look what he says in verse 32 and 33. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. I love that. Here this theologian is mansplaining God to God, which is sometimes what we do. We have tr- you have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding, with all the strength, paraphrasing Jesus, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. So he repeats Jesus's brilliant, and for the first time that we know of, uh, a succinct summary of the law as Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5, love God with everything, and Leviticus 19, 18, love neighbor as self. It's consonant with the whole tradition of Judaism, but it's the first time it's been so brilliantly and simply synthesized. But he wholly agrees with it and then adds this piece about sacrifices, which is an echo of the prophets themselves. For instance, Hosea says this, Hosea 6.6 says, I desire steadfast love, not sacrifice. The knowledge of God, a relationship with God, rather than burnt offerings. But wait a second, God, didn't you command these sacrifices and burnt offerings? Yes, but love is the priority. This itself is an echo a thousand years before Jesus of the ancient prophet Samuel to a disobedient Saul. Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? The obvious answer is no. That's the old covenant. The old covenant prophets and Hosea says it, Isaiah says it, Jeremiah says it. The psalmists say it, Psalm 50, Psalm 51, Psalm 40, which we'll see later. This was clear that there were certain laws that were weightier than others and that the sacrificial system pointed to a significance beyond themselves to a true heartfelt loyalty to God. And the new covenant, Paul expresses the same truth, but in new covenant terms. He says, look, if I speak in all the languages of men and angels, but I don't have love, I'm just a noisemaker. Or if, if I have prophetic powers and I can comprehend all the mysteries of God, but I have not love, I know nothing. If I, if I give away everything I have to the poor and become poor myself and pouring everything out, but I don't have love, philanthropy without love is a common thing. He says, what have I gained? If I give my body to the flames as a martyr, but I don't have love, I have no reward. Love never ends. Prophecies do. Knowledge does. Of of all the virtues, he says, the greatest is faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of those three is love. Because faith will come to an end when faith becomes sight. And hope will come to an end because who hopes for what they have? 
Once I receive what I hope for, I just enjoy it. Hope is gone, but love is forever. Now, there are two uh, extremes here, and, and the, the fact that Jesus says love is the answer, but he gives us two particular commandments, a first and a second. They're not the same commandment. Love God with everything, love neighbor. Right? Deuteronomy 6, Leviticus 19. And these cannot be collapsed into each other. When we do this, and we often do, we distort any one of those commandments, either one of them. So if I, I might call one, the one error, mysticism, okay? We'll call it that for lack of a better word. Mysticism is this kind of love for God that totally neglects love for neighbor. So this is the, the guy who says, well, my love for God is so profound, you can't begin to comprehend. I meditate on God in desert caves in the wilderness, and and I levitate two feet off the ground, and the stuff I've seen, I can't even tell you what I've seen. My love for God is so great. But you know what the Apostle John says to that? He says, if you never come out of your, out of your cave and love your neighbor, he says, you're a liar. Look, this is, the, this is the quote. It's on the screen. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love the God he does not see. So don't tell me about your great love for God when you clearly neglect your neighbor. If we say we love God, but we're indifferent when our neighbor, Ahmad Arbery, is shot down in the street in an act of vigilante justice that strikes too close to our dark an unrepented past of lynching, we do not love God nearly as we should. And if you think that that line is a, a bit of bandwagoning virtue signaling, I encourage you to read up on American history of lynching, to read the story of the brothers and sisters who have been lynched by many times churchgoers and hear the lines that were said to justify it. Lines like, he fit the description. I encourage you to talk to your African American brothers and sisters about what it's like to grow up in a country where very truly the color of your skin can be fatal. Ask, be curious, and then mourn with those who mourn. Likewise, if we say we love God, but we broad brush Gregory or Travis McMichael as some grotesque caricature of gun-toting rednecks and reduce them to a two-dimensional emblem of white supremacy, we don't love as we ought. Now the other error is what we'll call humanism, and humanism collapses the love of God into love for neighbor and says, well, my love for neighbor is my religion. I don't need love of God. It's, this is my piety. I love my neighbor as myself. Isn't that enough? Here's the problem with that. We don't know what love is. <laughs> we have a distorted view of love. I, don't, I had a great mom. My mom loved me well, but not perfectly. None of us did. Mom's love, as my dad used to say, the only thing free in this world is your mama's love. Mom's love is, can be great, but it's not perfect. We have distorted experiences of love. We don't know what love is. That's why John writes this, and this is also on the screen, by this we know love. Not by mom, <laughs> thank God for faithful mom love, but by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. That's how we know what love is. 
And so when you, uh, in our distorted experiences of love, where love has been corrupted and compromised, we, 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 can, we can be subject to abusive relationships, for distorted relationships, where love is you give to me and I love you. But John's very clear here, this is love. The lover gives himself to us. This is love. Not I take from you, whether that's an, a codependent relationship or that's a, a perverse institution like slavery based on race, which says, I love you, I'm a good master, you, give, you serve me. This is the warped view of love that we all operate with on some level and we need the purifying, cleansing love of God that will recalibrate what love is. But not only that, not only will we have a distorted view of love and how it works, that love is giving my giving to those that I love, not them giving to me. But it is an absolute giving of self. Look at that. He goes on to say, he laid down his life for us. That's how we know what love looks like. That's how we know what love is. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers, John writes. If we, do, if we don't have this, this love of God as the foundation for our love for neighbor, then we will always love our neighbor within limits, within certain rationalized limits. Well, I will love you up to a point, but when it starts to cost me my ability to self-care, <laughs> my self-love, then that's when I start to say no, right? That's when I stop loving. It's only reasonable. It's not reasonable to lay down my life for someone else. Is it? We do this all the time, not just like in extreme moments of like self-sacrifice, uh, but in everyday conversations. I mean, the, we in the South are not known to be very direct in our speech. We like to sugarcoat. We like circumlocution. We like talking around things. And what we do is we rationalize it as love. Well, I don't want to say this hard truth because I don't want to hurt the relationship. We frame it altruistically, but it's really self-love really say, I, I don't want to hurt me and the loss that this relationship could entail. So because we don't love God as we ought and love the God of truth, we fail to speak the truth to one another boldly and in love. Well, this commandment is simple, but it is exhausting. <laughs> it's exhaustive, which is the second point. This command exhausts everything, us and the law. It is the entirety of the law itself. And again, this wasn't new to Jesus, though Jesus framed it so beautifully. Uh, there's a wonderful story in the Talmud of, uh, of, of a Gentile coming to the rabbis to be converted. And you might remember from our talk on uh, divorce, there were two schools of rabbis in Jesus' day, the school of Shammai and the school of Hillel. So in this story, this Gentile would-be convert goes to Shammai and says, I'll be a proselyte, I'll convert to Judaism. If you can tell me, you can teach me the whole law why I stand on one foot. And if you ever done that yoga pose like this, you know that lasts about 15 seconds, right? And so Shammai is not amused. He takes a ruler and chases him out of the, out of the school. Get out of here, you punk. Don't waste my time. So. The Gentile goes to Hillel, the other great rabbi, and says, Hillel, Rabbi Hillel, I will convert to Judaism if you can teach me the whole law while I stand on one foot. And you know what Hillel says? Easy. What is hateful to you? Don't do that to your neighbors. That's the whole law. Everything else is commentary. 
A few hundred years later, Rabbi Akiva would say, love your fellow as yourself. This is the great principle of the law. And of course, before Rabbi Akiva, Jesus put it much more comprehensively when he said this in the Sermon on the Mount. Whatever you wish others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. The Apostle Paul was a good disciple of Jesus. He repeats this almost verbatim. This is from Galatians. It's also on your screens. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I think we got the wrong text up there. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's the, I have one word for fulfillment. That's it. Last week, we looked at Romans chapter 12 about paying taxes and honored whom honor is due. Well, if we kept reading last week, we would have hit this verse. Owe nothing to anyone except the continuing debt to love one another. For the, for the commandments, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't murder, don't covet, and any other commandment are fulfilled or summed up by this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. The great African, North African bishop, Augustine of Hippo, put it this way. I love how he put it. He said, once and for all then, you have one short precept, love, and then do what you will. Love and do what you will. That's the whole law. That's the whole duty. It's not just the great priority of the law. It is the entirety of the law. Love will guard our neighbor and seek their welfare, and love of God will always honor God. But this command exhausts not only the law and the prophets, it exhausts ourselves. Look again at what Jesus says in verse 29. Jesus answered the question, the most important is hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Jesus here goes through the entire anatomy of the human being, internally all of his resources and externally with strength. All of his resources are given to God without remainder without holding anything back. It is exhaustive of our whole being, all that we are, all that we ever will be, all that we have, all that we will ever have is devoted to God. Now he begins this commandment with what's called the Shema, which is the Hebrew word for hear, with this little theological confession. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Why does he, why does he give time to that preface before he gets to the meat of the commandment? And the answer is because the preface is the meat. The commandment makes no sense without that preface, without that great confession of faith. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. The object of our devotion is not a plurality. It is not a pantheon of rival gods, a polytheism of competing egos, a multiplicity of jostling wills, a chaos of opposing forces or independent variables plotting the stars of our fate. We have one great object of devotion. The Christian philosopher Soren Kierkegaard has a book with this title, Purity of Heart is to will one thing. 
We have one great object of our devotion, the all-consuming love of the one true God. This is integrity, to be fully integrated around this one great love. But you see, naturally, our hearts are disintegrated. We are divided by numerous and competing devotions, desires, designs, affections, and actions which is to say our hearts are torn by many gods. We're torn between pleasing our boss and getting home on time to please our wife or our spouse, to showing up to small group this week through Zoom call, not miss it again, so we don't get a phone call from that overly zealous small group member, to, to, to going uh, to a job because I've got, to, I've got to give, I've got to labor for my family to, to, to going for a run because my doctor said I need to start looking out for my health a little bit as, I, as I'm aging, uh, to, to, to watching that Netflix show everyone's talking about, to Facebooking happy birthday to that friend who said they were so lonely last year, to scrolling Twitter late at night for humorous videos as we zoom, zoom out for me time. We have no unified motive, no center. We have no purity of heart. We're divided, double-minded, triple-minded, quadruple-minded. But when Jesus says, love the Lord your God with, the word could also rightly be rendered from, as the source and root of all our actions, from the heart, from the soul, from the mind, from our strength, we are to love God. It is the one unified motive for all that we do. As Augustine went on to say, we have one short precept, love and do what you will. He goes on, let the root of love be within you. From this root, nothing can spring but what is good. We need to be reintegrated into a perfect love. Our hearts need to be reordered in an object of flawless beauty. True goodness, absolute truth, all merciful, all kind, all just. If only there were an object of devotion so worthy of all of our affections, all of our attention, all of our energy, all of our obedience. This morning, I'm here to tell you there is such an object of devotion. The one true God of Israel has revealed himself. He has broken silence and spoken in Jesus of Nazareth with the greatest of clarity and revealed his very face in the face of Christ that we might know this all-worthy God. And so we are able to do this by God's grace. We're able to love God with all that we do and all that we are. When we eat, we eat to the glory of God. When we drink, we drink to the glory of God. When we rest, we rest to the glory of God. When we labor, we labor to the glory. When we wash our hands, we wash our hands to the glory of God. Now, there's a, the second commandment is equally costly. It is the cost of our own self-love. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus ups the ante by saying, whatever you wish others to do for you, you will do for them. Now, Jesus isn't just describing here what might be described as a heroic or extraordinary acts of love, like running into a burning building or throwing down my life on the battlefield for my fellow soldiers. As worthy as that love is, it is extraordinary. What Jesus is talking about here is the ordinary, everyday love we are to have for our neighbors. 
But here's the problem. When my love for neighbor begins to compete with self-love, two things will happen. One of two things will tend to happen. One, I'll compromise my love for the other, as we said earlier, to ensure that I myself am taken care of, right? I, on my hierarchy of needs, I gotta make sure I'm fed, I gotta make sure I'm sheltered, I gotta make sure I've got trusting relationships, I gotta make sure that I'm, I, I have relationships of mutual respect, that I, that I have security and safety. And if those things begin to be threatened, then my love for you has to sort of back away. I have to compromise love for you insofar as it endangers my love for myself. Or we do the opposite, Aaron, and we compromise love for others, for ourselves rather. We compromise care for ourselves. We think ourselves perhaps no longer worthy of love, and so we serve others to our great detriment. Well, I need to do this. Not just I may do this, I must do this, I must sacrifice, I must give up for the other to our great loss. But here's where that first commandment empowers us to love others with this self-sacrificial love. It's not that we give up our desire to be loved, to be cared for, to be protected, to be honored. It's that we entrust that to the God who loves us. We are secure in his love for us. And because we're secure in his love for us, we are free to love our neighbor with this kind of radical self-giving love. Not because we've abandoned self-love or given up self-care, but we entrust God to love us and care for us in those moments. I'll give you an example. I don't know what you're, if you're married, how the quarantine's been uh, for you in your marriage. Uh, maybe a little bit more fighting, I don't know. Uh, but Stacy and I, we've got, we're good at fighting. We've done a lot, we've done a lot of it. Practice makes perfect. And, um, and if you know us at all, we're both intense people. So, you, I mean, you know, like if you were to watch it, at the very least it would be entertaining. And here's one of my, my besetting sins that unhelpfully contributes to our fights. It's really my pride. But it's when I feel that Stacy is sort of, she's seen something in me, exposed something in me, or perhaps she thinks she's seen something, but whatever the case, I feel exposed, I feel critiqued, or whatever it is, and I immediately go to self-justification, to self-vindication, because I, whether rightly or wrongly, want to be vindicated in this particular case. And so I have to vindicate myself. I mean, if I don't look out for number one, who will? I have to justify myself. Who else will justify me? Well, God justifies us. It's God who's justified. Who then can condemn? And if I am secure in God's love, and in this case, his, his justification of me, his embrace of me, then I can shut off the voices in my head that are so busy to justify myself that I can actually listen to my wife and hear her heart and what she has to say. All right, the final point is, all of this is fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus, as the perfect man, the God-man, but as the perfect man fulfills the law in fulfilling love of God and neighbor. Look on the screen from, from Hebrews, quoting from Psalm 40 that I referenced earlier. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, quoting a psalm that's a thousand years predating him, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you take no pleasure. 
Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said, Above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I've come to do your will. He does away with the first covenant in order to establish the second. Jesus loved God with all of his heart, with all of his mind, with all of his soul. He, he laid aside the sacrifices by offering up himself in a total offering to God, in offering his whole self. Not my will, but your will be done. He, he loved his neighbor as himself. He literally laid down his life for his neighbors. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Which means this, when you lay down your life for your neighbor, you don't act like a fool, you act like Jesus. Your sacrifice is not in vain. But the second point about this is Jesus calls to himself as the God-man the same devotion because the Lord your God is one. He says, if you want to follow me, take up your cross. Deny yourself all that you have, all that you are, all that you ever will be, and follow me. Total devotion of heart, mind, soul, strength to follow Jesus. And when he does that, he calls us not to a self-emptying that leaves us empty, but a self-emptying that fills us up. Look at what John writes. This is also on the screen. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, to be the atonement for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God at any time. But if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. As we come to experience God's love for us, the love that God pours out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit, knowing that while we were still weak, while we were still enemies of God, he gave his son, he loved us, so that if God reconciled us while we were far from him, hateful toward him, enemies of him, how much more will we experience his love now? As we drink in this love, we are filled to pour out this love. Do you know this love in your own heart? This love of God that liberates us to love, to love him and to love our neighbors. Like the scribe, perhaps some of you are close to the kingdom of heaven. You get it. You see the priority of love. You, it resonates with you. You're close, but you haven't crossed the threshold. Let me encourage you. Jesus is the gateway. He's the door to enter into that kingdom, to enter into that love. As he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So I want to pray for us that we would enter into this full life. Would you pray with me from where you are at home? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the God who has revealed himself to not only have love, but to be love. And you revealed this in your son. Lord, we want to know this love. We want this love to fill us. 
We want to love you with a pure heart and to love our neighbors as ourselves. We pray that you would forgive us our sins, to receive your grace, and that you would hold us, that we might walk with you in love. Amen.